On the current issues and the Constitution show, Professor Wilson will encourage you to stay informed and read the U.S. Constitution. The show is intended to shine a light on current issues that impact your daily life. Professor Wilson has twice received the American History Teacher of the Year Award in the state of West Virginia and is the recipient of many honors. He served in the armed forces and is currently a college professor. He is a true patriot who believes the understanding of the Constitution is key to our future and our future freedoms rest with informed youth. Please join us live where you can ask questions or listen on your time. Just follow the show feed to receive the latest shows delivered right to you. Don't miss any of these informative episodes. Are you ready? Take out a copy of the U.S. Constitution, a notepad, and let's get ready to learn. Welcome to everyone who's joining us today. My name is Felice Gerwitz, and I am your host, uh, moderator, slash uh, whatever you would like me to do person, I guess. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, gosh. Uh, Today's been one of those days. But today I'm excited to be welcoming uh, Professor Wilson again with us, who is going to hopefully make some sense of what we're hearing in the media, and as always, um, we have a keen eye to the Constitution. So welcome, Professor Wilson, and I will let you um, give us your introduction. Thank you, Felice. Uh, last week we uh, talked about the government shutdown, uh, the government partial shutdown, the government slim down, and whatever you call it, uh, it's still going on one week later. We're in the 15th day of this, um, what Felice calls, and I totally agree, a stalemate between Republicans in the House of Representatives and Democrats in the United States Senate and the White House. It goes on. Now, I have seen this many times. You can go all the way back to 1798. John Adams was the president, and Federalists and Anti-Federalists got over it, uh, got, uh, got into it, I mean to say, uh, over the question of the Alien and Sedition Act, and it was it was ugly. I think the difference we see this throughout history. It is not uncommon at all in Washington D.C. for the two sides, uh, beginning with um, the emergence of the Republican Party, with the with the um, election of Abraham Lincoln. Uh, you have Democrats and Republicans that, in many episodes of history, have been totally at odds with one another. And sometimes they get into a situation that is so tense and intense that they forget about the lesson of the Constitutional Convention. Talk, discuss, negotiate, compromise, those kinds of things. When things settle down, sometimes they seem to remember that. Sometimes we remind them. I think the further we get away from the Constitutional Convention and the ratification of the Constitution, I think more that the lessons of the uh, of the Constitution, the founding, the founding fathers, diminishes, and somehow we need to get back to that because it was one of the integral forces that that made us the greatest nation on the planet. What what's going on in Washington D.C. right now is not what made us a great nation. It is not even close to being one of the factors in our amazing growth and development and world leadership 
throughout the 20th century. So we wanted to say that first. Uh, we have, we have uh, gotten too far away from our roots, from our foundation. Before we review um, what we talked about last week, a couple of things I want to make sure you understand. First of all, tomorrow, October the 17th, the debt limit expires. There have been 80 or 85 debt limit increases when the uh, Congress spends so much money that they have a deficit, they're spending more than they're taking in, well, you get rising debt, and Congress has the job of establishing a debt limit, and right now it's $17 trillion. Well, no, it's not. Take that back. Right now it expires on October the 17th. Now, the debt right now is $16.963 trillion, almost $17 trillion. And that will continue to grow for the time being until Congress, some Congress and some president decide, hey, this country is heading for the abyss. Uh, we're going to drop into an abyss. We're going to pass a horrendous debt burden to our children and our grandchildren. Let's do something about it now before it's too late. Let's do something about it now before it does really punish people that are not even yet 18 years old and citizens of the United States. So until that time, that debt will continue to grow. The only thing that could stop it would be if tomorrow there is an impasse and a stalemate, the kind that we've seen on the shutdown issue, now with the debt limit, and Republicans refuse to pass the debt limit tomorrow unless there are conditions attached, such as cuts in government spending to stop the growth or to slow down the growth of the debt and start moving towards dealing with it in a way that does not punish the future. So that's the only way to stop it. That's the only way to um, bring bring the issue to a halt. Now, will Republicans do that? Uh, you know, people are the media, people in the media, and media media trumpets of these people are screaming and yelling. Default, stock market crashes, the economy crashes, the world economy crashes. Uh, probably uh, tremendous exaggerations. Now, it is true that the stock market does waver whenever Congress gets into these battles. Because what, what the business world and the financial world really want more than anything else, the most important thing, thing to them, even before profits, is certainty. Certainty. They want to know and they want to be confident that they can go on with building their business and expanding their business and research and development and, and investments and so on with pure confidence that everything is going to be okay. So when the debt limit is threatened, they get very, very nervous. That is uncertainty. And, yes, the stock market does react. And all of those companies out there that are thinking about expansion, they put things on hold for a while. So it is a very, very serious issue. Now, where does this debt come from? Okay, remember, every year Congress spends more money than it takes in. You add that amount of money over their revenues 
to the debt. And that is where the debt comes from. Just imagine a, a family that earns $100,000 a year. Okay, at the end of 2013, they realize that they have spent $110,000. So they have a $10,000 deficit, and they've got to do something about it. Okay, now they could go to the bank and borrow money. They could borrow $10,000, pay off those debts, and just uh, smile their way through the rest of the year earning $100,000. The problem is now they've got to pay the bank. So they've got another bill. They've got another problem, and that is with interest. Well, let's say we get to the end of the year and the family again spends $110,000. So they've got to go back to the bank and get another loan. So they're increasing their debt. Now, that's what Congress has been doing. What should that family do instead of borrowing money? And when we borrow money, you and I, we go to the bank or some other source, and we borrow an amount of money, and we spend it. Maybe we buy a house. Maybe we buy a car. So how does Congress borrow money? How does the United States government borrow money? Well, they sell treasury bonds to anybody that will buy them. You and I buy them and give them to our uh, friends or family uh, for Christmas presents or birthday or something like that. But mostly, 99.9% of all the purchasing is done by entities that have a great deal of money. And I'm talking about generally uh, financial institutions, corporations, foreign countries, and they buy, this, they buy these treasury bonds, which is their name for a loan. We call it a loan. They call it treasury bonds. They, sell these, they buy these treasury bonds because it's a guaranteed income. It's an investment to China and to Ford Motor Company. It is an, uh, it is, it is an investment with a guaranteed return. So they buy the treasury bonds. The government gets the money. Uh, the Congress gets the money and decide how to spend it in excess of, of their tax revenues. And um, we also begin to pay the interest on the debt to the entities that bought the Treasury bonds in the first place. And now, now if you look at the um, federal budget, I've been watching this grow for about the last 25 years. The amount of money that we're paying just on interest on the debt is up around $400, $450 billion, just almost a half a trillion dollars. And that's, that, that's money that we have to pay out to remain solvent, solvent, to not default. And that's money that we can't spend on medical research. We can't spend it on military or infrastructure or the other things that benefit all the people. That's money that goes into the bank accounts of uh, giant corporations, very wealthy individuals, millionaires and billionaires. It comes out of our paychecks and goes into their bank account, or it goes into the treasury of China or Great Britain or France or Canada or many other countries that buy these treasury bonds. So what should that family do? I think you probably already said it. They should cut spending. Maybe they could sell a car. Maybe uh, dad could uh, get another income. 
maybe a second job, uh, working at home or something in the evenings on a computer. Maybe they could sell their house and buy a less expensive house. Maybe they could cut back on shopping, vacations, other kinds of things, and eliminate that $10,000 of deficit spending. Well, Congress could do the same thing. Congress could say right now, okay, um, everybody take a deep breath. Republicans are right. We're going to have to cut spending. And that's what the Republicans have, House Republicans, have been insisting on and demanding from day one of this crisis, 15 days ago. So we'll get back to that in a minute. A couple of other words we're seeing uh, a lot of, and uh, we're seeing it more now, but we see it all the time. The words are partisanship and polarization, the two P words. Now, partisanship, what is a partisan? What is a partisan? Uh, I remember that during World War II, I don't remember World War II, but in studying World War II, uh, they called the French underground that fought against the German invaders the partisans, one group. A uh, strong supporter of a cause or strong supporter of a political party, either in Europe, Asia, or in America, uh, is a partisan. So partisanship is when you dance to the tune of your party, of your cause, and you are totally loyal and devoted, in this case, to that political party. Now, when a new congressman is elected and comes into the House of Representatives, or the Senate, they're pulled essentially in three directions. First of all, being new, they're probably enamored of being so loved and popular uh, by their constituents that they would actually win an election. And so probably as they come into Congress on day one, their loyalty and, and their passion is for their constituents, for the people that elected them. Well, they get into Congress... And they're either Republican or Democrat normally. Some are independent. Some are socialist. Very, very few. Um, but let's say that the, this newly elected congressman is a Democrat. Well, Democrats in the, in the Senate are basically, there are 54 of them, and one of them is brand new, and as the leader is Harry Reid. And one of the first things this new senator is going to do is go talk to Harry Reid and other party leaders in the Senate, and let's say that this uh, senator wants to be on two committees that have a great deal to do with problems in the senator states. And Harry Reid would probably say, okay, yeah, we can pitch you on those uh, committees. Now, there are a few things we're going to want from you. And there it begins. Um, if you want the choice committees, if you want advancement, if you want us, if you have a bill to offer on behalf of your state and you want us to put it on the floor and talk about it, Harry Reid says, I've got the power to do that, and I've got the power not to do that. So, uh, you know, if you, if, you want to, if you want to get along and make a difference for your people and for yourself and all that, you're going to have to dance to our tune. So the senator starts to get pulled away from his constituents towards the party. I noticed Joe Manchin of my state, West Virginia, has defied that altogether. Apparently, he uh, his priority is not getting the right committee or being a committee chairperson or something like that. His um, 
constituents are in West Virginia are very conservative, and he is, if you've been following him or you occasion him as you follow the news, he is basically uh, spending more time agreeing with the Republicans than he is with his own party, the Democrats. Most, mostly, however, congressmen uh, get pulled to party politics, and they become a partisan. That is partisanship. Now, the third thing that once in a while I think uh, uh, when the smoke settles and the heat of the day begins to cool, maybe uh, congressmen sit quietly and alone in, in their office. Everybody else is going home, and they're thinking about why they came here. They're thinking about their job as a member of the United States Congress. And maybe they remember the Constitution and the rights of the people. That is the third pull. So if you can detach yourself from party politics and get back to the Constitution, boy, you just have to get dizzy with awe in realizing that you are one of thousands of Americans that have been elected to go to Congress and work for the people, work for the good of the nation. And maybe the next morning they feel differently about being pulled around by their political party. But what we're seeing in the United States Congress right now in this stalemate is basically partisanship, where everybody seems all the Republicans vote one way, all the Democrats vote another way, or the vast majority. We have partisanship. And what has happened, and this has happened before too, um, the election of 1800 between Thomas Jefferson and John Adams was one of the ugliest in uh, American history. The, what, what happens is basically the two parties are so, so in opposition to one another. And it's, it's all about money. It's about power. It's about influence. It's about agendas. And when they get into this stalemate position, the longer they stay in it, the more they seem to hate each other. And they don't hate each other. Both sides understand what's going on. And they can, they can sit down and have a cup of coffee together and have a friendly conversation. An hour later, they're yelling at each other and calling each other's names on the House or Senate floor. So polarization is when the two parties are so far apart that they will not simply will not negotiate or compromise. So what we're seeing in Congress right now is a great deal of partisanship, voting the party line, and polarization, totally unwilling to negotiate or compromise. And I think we see it on both sides. Uh, you could say, you could look at the Republicans and say, okay, well, they're compromising. You know, they offered a clean resolution plus defunding, and then the Senate rejected it, so Republicans say, okay, how about a clean resolution and one-year delay in the implementation of the Affordable Care Act? And so it seems like they're giving a little bit. And, of course, they do cry out for a conference committee for negotiations and so on, and the Senate and the President refuse. Uh, the Senate won't discuss it. The um, President says he will veto it. Uh, that kind of thing. So the Republicans look like they're 
they are more willing to cooperate and uh, sit down together and work things out than than Democrats but are. But don't be sure that they are. What are Republicans going to do? What stance are going to they, they going to take if and when they do sit down with the Democrats from the Senate? It might be very well that they will be just as intransigent, just as deeply entrenched as they appear to have been over the last two weeks. So I'm not talking about Democrats. I'm I'm talking about Democrats and Republicans uh, in terms of partisanship, polarization. Both sides get into that. Now, review. Uh, Last time we talked about uh, Republicans have offered 11 different bills, different ideas that the Senate has rejected and the president has said he will uh, veto. Speaking of the president, when George Bush was president, it was 2008, um, 2007, 2006, back in that area, uh, a young senator from Illinois named Barack Obama stood up on the Senate floor and said that uh, it was time to raise the debt once again. And this senator stood up and said that raising the debt limit is immoral. Immoral. In other words, I think of the church, sin, right and wrong. So the senator thinks, while a Republican's president says that raising the debt limit is immoral, now he's the president, it's not immoral at all, it's the right thing to do. So you get, you know, politicians, um, professional politicians, that's somebody you just so you have to suspend disbelief to to agree or accept what they say. And I don't care if they're from your state. I don't care if you love them or whatever. If you're a professional politician, you're going to change with the wind, both to advance your part, your agenda, your party's agenda, and to get reelected, all of those kinds of things. So it's very difficult when you hear Harry Reid speak or John Boehner speak or the president speak. It's very difficult to hang your hat on what they're saying. It appears that Democrats are willing to hurt people in this uh, so-called shutdown. They shut down the uh, war memorial, uh, for example, World War II memorial on the Smithsonian Mall, but they allowed a couple days later the uh, march of the illegal immigrant supporters. Uh, They funded uh, PBS fully, but they cut veterans' benefits. So the decisions they're making coming out of the White House and the Office of Management and Budget the White House Office of Management and Budget, have basically been designed to affect and to cause pain. The family has to uh, close a vacation to Yellowstone Park or, or Mount Rushmore to as many people as they possibly can. And they think they can do this because they know that they have this media trumpet out there, and it's a very loud trumpet. Republicans, Republicans, Republicans. And they're doing a very good job of that, I've got to say. Freedom of the press, freedom of speech, uh, politics being what they are. um, There's nothing that we can say to oppose it. Nobody can challenge it. Nobody can sue them. The Supreme Court has nothing in this. It is not a constitutional matter. So the standoff remains. Currently, right now, A six-week extension of the debt ceiling has been talked about. Susan Collins, a Republican from New Hampshire, offered an extension of both, uh, you know, continuing revolution to fully fund government, 
resolution uh, to fully fund government and uh, pushing off the debt ceiling, I think she said, until February the 17th or something like that. And um, in exchange for that, as a part of that, Susan Collins said, but we must eliminate the tax on medical devices, which is a huge tax that's really going to hurt companies that make medical technology or it's going to cause them to radically escalate the price, which is going to drive the cost of health care up for all of us. So her extension has been rejected. I think Democrats are showing us into the, in this partisanship manner that they are not going to compromise on anything. They think they can win this fight, and no matter how unpopular the Affordable Care Act or parts of it are, they're not going to bend. All right, there have been talks on spending cuts to get government open and raise the debt limit. Uh, President Obama had Republicans over to the White House on Monday, and they did talk about it. They reached no agreement. Harry Reid, uh, the majority leader of the Senate, and Mitch McConnell from Kentucky, the minority leader of the Republicans in the Senate, did begin to talk late last week, and they were conducting talks until Monday, and Harry Reid cut them off uh, because he wants to wait and see what the next Republican plan is. But they were talking. Okay, so before that, they had not been talking, um, and there was just complete uh, polarization. But I, I think both sides are, and I'm saying I think, I think both sides are getting very, very nervous because the debt limit is going to occur, the, the crash, the train crash, if you want to call it that, will occur tomorrow if they don't get together and agree at least to postpone the problem, pass the debt ceiling, get the government back open, and in four weeks, the government shuts down again, and maybe in two months, the debt ceiling is reached again. Instead of giving the debt ceiling a nine- or 12-month period, give it a two-month period. And in that time period, Sit down, talk, negotiate, compromise, solve your problems. And, you know, the, the Senate and the House, or excuse me, the Senate and the President have just got to sit down in the darkness of their office with everybody gone and remember what they were elected to do, remember what the Constitution requires of them. And both of them remember that the House of, of Representatives is an important constitutional body and what they say and what they stand for need to be respected. They need to get into that mentality. They need to at least talk about the problems that we have and boy do we have them. And I think the American people more than anything else, the American people uh, need to sound off. I think we all need to write our congressmen and say, look, if you guys don't solve some problems, and you just list them in your email. If you guys don't solve these problems, we'll do everything we can to get you out of office in the next election. You're problem solvers, not partisans. Get back into it. A few polls out, um, very recent polls. This one, I'm not sure 
who did it, but it, it looks like all the other polls I'm seeing. The question was, how would you vote on raising the debt limit? And 37% of the respondents said uh, they would vote yes, raise the debt limit. 58% said no. It's kind of interesting. You know, we see polls showing that um, people, oh, about by about 8 or 9% or 10% are blaming Republicans for the shutdown compared to Democrats. Most people are blaming both, and the president included. But this one, this is interesting. Uh, and I have a follow-up question for you also. How would you vote on raising the debt limit? 37% say they would vote yes, 58%. Of the American people, almost 60% getting up towards the supermajority say no, they would not vote to raise the debt limit. So apparently a, a, a very significant majority of the American people know and understand that the national debt is a problem. And raising the debt limit simply allows more runaway spending. Okay, in the same poll, they asked a second, second question. question was, should the debt limit be raised? Should the debt limit be raised? And you had two options. Um, you could you could check mark only after major cuts, or yes, we should raise the debt limit. It is reckless not to. Sixty-two percent said only after major cuts. Sixty-two percent want to see limited government. They want to see a reversal of what we've seen over the last two or three decades, and they want to see cuts in government spending. Only 27% call for a clean passage of debt limit increase. Latest news today, uh, today's House plan that Harry Reid is waiting for will be voted on tonight. Apparently, a rumor is that... Um, the new plan uh, that John Boehner is not sure he has the votes to pass it, and that maybe some Republicans, more moderate Republicans or, or Republicans who are getting emails from their constituents, and the emails 70% are saying, saying, uh, get this thing over with. Uh, we're going to we're going to be suffering out here. We're scared to death out here. Uh, compromise with the Democrats and, and get this thing over with. Who knows? Uh, but that's a rumor. Uh, that's not for sure. But why why not vote now? You know, we've got the plan. Why not vote now? Why wait till tonight? Do you need all day long to uh, talk to people and marshal up the votes that you need? You know, when these things are going on, there's a guy in each. Um, there are actually four people in both houses: a majority whip, a minority whip in both houses, four people. The whip's job is to get the legislation passed. All right, so the whip and his staff, um, uh, Republican whip, I can't remember his name right now, in the House is busy counting votes and telling John Boehner and, and other uh, Republican leaders who, who the people are that need to be talked to, and they go talk to them. Uh, maybe they get together and have a meeting and, and, and try to persuade them to come to the partisan uh, Republican point of view. All right, so the plan, though, that, that will be voted upon tonight, John Boehner says, or maybe not, it would fund the government. See, this is a really, this is really Republicans backing off. And I'm, I'm thinking, I'm thinking, okay, they accomplished their goal. 
they wanted to bring government spending and the debt limit to the attention of the American people. They wanted to force the media to focus on it so the American people could see and understand what's going on in Washington, D.C. All right, they've done that. Now it looks like they're toning it down. So the current plan that's, uh, that about hopefully will be voted on would fund the government, clean resolution, that's what the Democrats want, but only to December the 15th. That's about a month. And the caveat is that a House-Senate conference committee be established to deal with all of the issues before December 15th. Okay, the same co-statement, we're going to fund the government to December 15th, and we'll extend the debt, debt limit to February the 7th. All right, so all the businesses and financial institutions and stock market uh, can relax, get back into their sense of certainty, and uh, go do your thing, make the economy expand, uh, create jobs, that sort of thing. Now, also a part of this is, and this is a caveat that Democrats could possibly totally reject. I'm sure that they would be very happy with the extensions. But the caveat is that the White House, all political appointees, such as the Cabinet, Congress, and all the staffers in Congress, would be required to sign up for the Affordable Care Act without subsidies. As it stands right now, you and I are going to help them pay for their health insurance. Well, the Republican bill, fund the government December 15th, extend the debt limit to February the 7th, House, political appointees, Congress, Congress staff will be signed up on the Affordable Care Act without subsidies. And chances are fairly good that the Senate will reject that. But will the Senate reject it and come back with a compromise proposal? They have not done that in the last two weeks. And that's what we need to see. Okay, a couple of other polls that, that are related to this that I've seen. Um, uh, there, and these two, when you really want to know uh, how the American people feel, go to the Pew, P-E-W, Pew Research Center. Now, this poll... It basically um, talks about running the economy, management, government, and so on. So listen to this. Which party is more extreme in its positions? Okay, 55% say Republicans. 34% say Democrats are more reasonable. All right, so a little disconnect going on there where the media is concerned. Which would, does, would do a better job of dealing with the economy? 44% say Republicans, 37% say Democrats. Not much difference there, but give the edge to Republicans in terms of dealing with economic problems. Which can better manage the government? Now, this one's very important because what we're seeing right now in the stalemate is the issue of management of government. Well, 42% say the Republicans could do a better job. 39% say the Democrats could do a better job. Margin of error is three, so that basically is a tie. Which can do a better job of dealing with immigration? 40% uh, say Republicans, 39% Democratic Party, again, a tie. Which is more willing to work with the other party? Now, this goes back to the first question on, on extremism. 
32% say Republicans are more willing to work with the other party, and 50% say Democrats are. So they, people are seeing the Republicans, it's an 18% margin, as being more stubborn, more intransigent than the Democrats. And the last question, which is more concerned about people like me? And 34% say Republicans, and Democrats say 54% say Democrats. Concerned about people like me. And that is largely, in fact, all of these are largely perception. And we have heard for the last six years about how awful wealthy people are and how we need to redistribute the wealth and all those kinds of things. So if you're in the lower class or lower middle class, the poor class or even the middle class, uh, you might find Democrats more willing to get money for you, entitlements for you, than, than Republicans. And finally, we've got to say that right now in this stalemate, Democrats do hold a slight advantage. And this is released, uh, like the previous poll, on, on October the 13th. If The question is this. If congressional elections were held today, which would you vote for, Democrat or Republican? All right, so as far as Republicans and lean re, leaning Republicans is concerned, 45%. Democrat or lean Democrat, 48%. Margin of error is three points. You have a dead tie. So regardless of the polls that say, who do you blame, who do you blame, Republicans, Democrats, they, people blame both of them, they Democrat, uh, blame Republicans about 90% more than Democrats. But this poll, and when I want the truth about how the American people are feeling, I go to the Pew Research Center and see if they have done the research, and usually they have. So I totally respect this one. I would be shocked, appalled, and very, very disappointed if I ever found out that the Pew Research Center was skewing results in behalf of a political party. So you basically have a dead heat right now as to how people would vote in a congressional election between Republicans and Democrats. Well, that's bad news for the Democrats in the Senate because it would mean that Republicans would pick up houses, uh, seats, and it would be bad news for the Republicans in the House because Democrats would pick up seats. But, of course, this is just a poll, and we're over a year. We're about a year, about 13 months away from the next election. Uh, so these polls have a lot of meaning right now as people react to the stalemate and the, uh, the trumpets. But um, a year, 13 months from now, it may mean nothing at all. A lot can happen in 13 months. Right. And that pretty much well, sums up uh, where we've been and uh, where we're going I'm sorry I took so long. I certainly did not intend to. No, great. It was perfect timing. I was just coming on to say we're going to take a little bit of a commercial break, and when we come back, we have a list of questions for you to answer. So uh, we'll be right back. The American Government and Elections class is a remarkable look at the workings of the U.S. government, the election process, and how the Constitution sets the stage for the democracy that we enjoy today. This video series contains 32 hours of class recorded with a live audience 
taught by accredited AP and award-winning professor of American history, Robert Woodrow Wilson. This class is sure to energize your students with a love of learning. The classes are on demand on your time to view from the comfort of your own home. Created specifically for the high school level homeschooler, this AP level class can be enjoyed by students of all ages. Recorded and produced by Media Angels, a name you trust for quality products. Need more information? No problem. Go to MediaAngels.com and visit our class link. Or go to AmericanHistoryKidsClass.com and get ready to claim your seat. Hurry, because class is starting. Well, I have a uh, very biased plug for the government class that I want to share with you, but this just happened yesterday, Woody, so I'll share it with everyone. Um, Nick and I went on the CLEP test uh, website where you can take sample CLEP test uh, questions, and he hasn't uh, done anything with the government class since he, we finished it last December. So, you know, we're almost coming up on a year, and he got four out of six correct of the test questions. I was really proud of him. So he's going to go back and review that class again. So, oh, great. Uh, yeah, I was excited. In fact, I was sitting there with him, and um, we he would answer, and then I would answer, and I got more wrong than he did. <laughs> didn't stick as well with me. <laughs> well, he was, a, he was a student last year, and you weren't. That's so he was right, more focused. I was manning manning the the troops here. Oh gosh. Okay. A uh, couple of questions here. I guess we're talking about um, they want to know about the stock market because you managed uh, or mentioned earlier that there could be some volatility because of the uncertainty. And the question says, I was taught that playing the stock market was like gambling. You know, how much of this uh, should I believe? Um, as far as, you know, worry about the stock market and its volatility. Well, they're, they're, um, the stock market is a huge and complex thing. As far as gambling is concerned, uh, not really. Uh, basically, you're instead of, rather than gambling, you are making an educated guess. That is, you've studied the stock market, you've studied the economy, you've studied economic growth, you've studied the uh, Fortune 500 and and the Dow Jones companies and the NASDAQ companies, and you've spent hours and hours and hours studying all of this stuff, and you get a sense of certainty. Everything is, uh, the future looks good, and so you buy stocks, um, and most of the time you're going to be right if you've done the study and the preparation. Now, when you go to, ca to a casino to play poker or blackjack, no amount of research is going to help you at all because it's just pure dumb luck. But uh, with the stock market, um, if you're really into it, which I am not, the only thing I know about the stock market, uh, I mean, the one thing I really know is I lost a bunch of money in the stock market when the technology bubble burst back in 1999, and I took all of my money out and have not put it back in the stock market, nor am I going to, simply because I don't want to spend the time doing the studying. That's not what I want right. to study and think about. It's, it's numbers and right. it's dull to me. It's for mathematicians. So right. the, the stock market, like we said, does like certainty. Uh, when there is uncertainty, you'll see uh, the Dow Jones and NASDAQ and all the others, you'll see them dropping. Uh, sometimes they crash. Uh, and then Congress or somebody does something to remove the uncertainty, and they begin their increases once again. So one of the tricks for successful people in the stock market is to see the uncertainty coming 
and move their stocks around or move them into a bank or savings and loan uh, credit union or something like that, um, that's how you win in the stock market. It's basically a, almost a full-time job. I recommend it for mm. people that are retired that um, have no other interests. Right. That's a joke, have, by the have, way. Right. <laughs> or they have a broker, right? Right. Oh, gosh, and that still happened, uh, even though we had a broker that was working with our stuff. And our stuff, the, the part that didn't do well, as you said, Woody, was the technology stock, so we were there with you. So yeah. we had half half and half. We didn't do it all. But um, anyway, okay, uh, Bethany asked, uh, what would they do if it does expire? So if, um, you know, they are still at an impasse and they don't come to a decision, um what happens? Well, <clears throat> um, we all have to guess. Why do we have to guess? Because it's never happened before. So when that lid is put on the national debt, it may no longer. Well, I, you know, things things could happen. First of all, the government's got to stop spending money. And, okay, so it adds to the partial government shutdown that we already have. It means that we can no longer pay, pay all of the interest on the debt. Maybe we can pay 80% of it so that people that are buying our um, treasury bonds are going to stop buying them so much. So you've got further pressure on the, the federal budget to contract. And so maybe Social Security recipients or people that uh, have a, a surgery scheduled, the money is not going to be there. Maybe the hospital is going to say, well, if you can't pay, we're not going to give you this surgery, and you suffer, or maybe even you die. Uh, the stock market will certainly um, bottom out, and as long as the um, uh, debt lit limit impasse goes on and on, the stock market will not recover, and that will indeed ripple out and affect the markets in Asia and Europe and the entire world economy because the United States is the heartbeat of the, of the world economy, the world economy will begin to decline. People will lose their jobs. The unemployment rates will go up. People applying for unemployment, both in Europe and in America and in Asia, will increase uh, very rapidly. So basically what you're looking at potentially, and this is, this is my guess and the guess of a lot of other people uh, whose, um, whose job it is to study these things and whose articles I read, it basically is a global economic meltdown that could result from this. It could. Okay, I, I just, and I, I just think there's a, a certain probability to that also. Yeah, I just did a, a quick look because um, one of the questions that came in said, we read the government defaulted once in 1912 and again during Carter in 1979, I believe. So um, I just did a quick look on the Internet and I'm finding um, the New York Times is saying um, that it has defaulted before um, and some other things. So I don't know, again, what is the exact definition of defaulting, which probably, you know, everything comes into play on that. Um, so it's, Defaulting is basically when the government runs out of money or runs out of the ability to spend money. Right. Um now, I lived through the Carter administration, so I do not remember a debt limit impasse that resulted in the default. I'm going to have to research that. 
Yeah, I think that's your definition is that we ran out of money. So a, a default, you know, even if we do, quote, you know, default, according to even the liberal media, there's enough money um, at least until Monday. Uh, so I'm sure both sides of the aisle know that. And, you know, it, it could just mean we can't borrow anymore and we can still pay our debt. So um, it could be like this, that, you know. And so what you're saying that's never happened before is we've never not paid our bills before for an extended period of time. I'll put it so, this way. We have yeah. never had an economic meltdown, global or American national, that resulted from a government default. Okay. As that I know of, and I'll have to research that also. That's a very good question, by the way. Who asked that? Uh, Tara did, because she the question that she asked was, oh, we read the come, government. This, uh, no, this it didn't. It didn't come. Didn't come first. from the It came later. Uh, no, the first one did come from the student. It wasn't. It didn't have anyone's name on it, but it did come from a student. This one, okay. uh, Tara and Sierra both are saying. We read the government defaulted once in 1912, and again during Carter. Would you comment on how these impacted the U.S. and the perception of the different parties? So, um, you know, we'll give you a chance to research that um, for next week. That would be great. Well, okay. Um, I, I, maybe we should all research that for next week. Yes, yes, that would be good, and see what we come up with. Because I know there's. I'm just seeing um, the quick little look that I'm doing here. I'm seeing, you know, New York Times, um, NBC News, Forbes. Um, it says failure to raise the debt ceiling will not bring about federal something. It's, you know, broken off here. CNBC, Business Week, um, Huffington Post. So it's just um, on the first page. And so I'm not sure which of those. Uh, most of them are our liberal media, so I'd like to see a balance um, on that. Okay, here's a, a couple more uh, questions and, and one um, and one comment. Uh, why is it that Congress doesn't listen to the people in their states anymore, but does um, seems to do what their peers want them to do? So this is a student asking the question that it appears that Congress doesn't seem to be listening, um, you know, to its constituents, it doesn't appear. You know, the problem the problem with answering that question is I frankly cannot answer it. If you ask that okay. question to 535 congressmen, I'm fairly sure you'd get 535 different answers um, if they were being honest. But there's mm -hmm. a great deal of money, there's a great deal of power um, in political parties. Without, it's like joining a union almost. You go along, the union says go on strike, you go on strike. Uh, the union says you uh, carry placards saying uh, salary increases and, and you carry them and you do what the union says. So you've got the same mentality um, in political parties. Uh, if you play along with the party, uh, it's like, you know, like that new congressman uh, Harry Reid says to the new congressman, you've got to go along with us if you want all these committees and all these other things that we can do for you. And the congressman and the senator says, but but um, what about my constituents? And Harry Reid would say, oh, don't worry about your constituents. We'll see it to it that you get elected. We'll see to it. You cooperate with us. We'll get you reelected. And they do have the political tools and the money uh, to do that. So 
There, there okay. are just a, a lot of reasons why people are po- pulled into that partisanship, and uh, mm-hmm. constituents frequently come in second. Right. And, you know, and I think because it also is not an election year, you know, um, it's giving them a little bit more leeway because, like you pointed out earlier, it it seems that, um, you know, it's it seems like the public forgets so soon. And, you know, the other thing you mentioned um, earlier, too, is that people do want to um, have a sense of feeling secure. And this is making everybody upset on both sides. So, you know, um, I'm hoping that it will cause everyone to rethink um, many aspects, not just, you know, one single single uh, focus here because, you know, there's there are no winners. You know, even if this, uh, you know, the debt ceiling is raised or they come to some sort of agreement for a few months, um, this is all going to boil down to, um, you know, it coming to a fore again because this is there's no way they can agree on anything long term in such a short amount of time. Right. So, you know, the problem is we keep saying they. I wonder what everybody out there thinks would happen if somebody took a poll that simply said, which political party do you blame for the current gov- government shutting down? and for the potential debt limit crisis. Uh, you know, what are they going to say? But it doesn't matter. But if you okay. ask them this, would you, yes or no, both sides should sit down and negotiate and compromise. What do you think the response would be? 99.9%, yes. Or no? 9%, yes. Exactly. Somewhere, <laughs> up, somewhere up there, you know, at least 92 or 93% would say yes sit down and negotiate. And as we've seen in many many other polls out there, many other opinions, uh, President Obama's popularity rating has dropped down to 36%. That's where George Bush was at his lowest. Uh, Democrats in the Senate, Republicans in the House are all down in the 30th percentile range. Mm -hmm. So Americans are very unhappy with everybody in Washington, D.C., and I think the reason is, my guess is, these guys will not sit down and solve the problem together. They just won't. Right. And we're we're all very disappointed and disillusioned. I think. Seems like we need we need to remind all of them that we are all on the same side, and we expect nations to get along, which I always say is incredulous when we can't even get along as as a as a unified, uh, you know, fifty united states. Of right. America, and we just want to give them all an infusion of, um, you know, being proud and having hope for our great nation because we are a great nation built of very hardworking people, and um, you know, we just want to instill that in our children anyway. And right. that's one of the the great things about uh, the show, and also being able to homeschool. Um, Arilla said that the Senate leaders have announced a deal to end the government shutdown and avoid a debt default. I think she's heard this on Fox, she said. Uh, Now, say that again. Senate leaders have announced a deal to end the government shutdown and to avoid a debt default. Senator Ted Cruz said he will block the vote. He will not block the vote 
even though he opposes the agreement because it does not address GOP objections to Obamacare. Okay. All right, so we have a a partisanship Democratic plan to solve the problem, and if Republicans don't agree with it, they'll get the blame. That sounds like more political partisanship posturing. I don't know. I, I haven't... Um, I've been sitting here busy talking. I haven't had a chance to look at the latest news, but I'll check that out as soon as we're finished here. Thanks for the idea. Um, And there was another note here about the headlines uh, read. This is the headlines that that read, White House Press Secretary says Obama believes Senate budget deal achieves what's necessary. So those are the headlines. Interesting. Okay. Um, Let's see. There was a link uh, put in the chat room here that is the story about the um, the debt uh, the default was uh, USA Today um, and it was the Associated Press talked about uh, 1979 and the War of 1812. <laughs> oh, we're going back in time here. Um, so I, I guess uh, at, at one point there was there was a uh, withholding of of gold. Uh, I thought I read here somewhere in the chat room. I lose it if it's in the chat room. It's um, better if you post the comments or questions in the in the um, Q and A, then I can grab them. Okay, we're getting to the end of the hour, so I'm just going to be able to to read a few. Um, oh, she, here it is. It was in the Q and A. It says it was in 1812. King George blocked the passage of gold to pay the debt for a few weeks or months, something like that. So that's what the 1812 was about. So it'll be good. We can we can research back in history. Well, so, um, what what I'm saying is that um, if we don't extend the debt limit, and we basically crush government spending, uh, we're not. I'm not talking about the King of England and the gold supply. Uh, I'm right. talking about the debt limit. That's that's a very different thing. Uh, right. But I'm so, intrigued with the 1979 thing. I can't wait to. Uh, uh, to look that up. As as <laughs> no. uh, but I would like yeah. to say to everybody out there, that this um, I'm sorry I talked so long. Um, I I would like to spend more time talking about your questions. Um, and they're very, very good questions, especially like a question where I learn something from it or I get an idea to research. But during the next seven days, uh, between uh, this Wednesday and next Wednesday, uh, of course, continue to follow this in the news, and we'll talk about it again. And I could almost bet you a dollar to a donut that this crisis is going to be resolved by the next time we talk. It might not be uh, totally resolved. It might be like Republicans say they're going to kick the can down the road and um, delay things like the Susan Collins uh, bill, uh, postpone everything, maybe something like that, but the immediacy and the default and all that stuff, it's not going to happen. I just cannot believe that that's going to happen. If it does, then it's going to be dysfunctional government like we have possibly never seen before. And I just don't think right. that that will happen. They'll, they'll, they'll reach um, an agreement to disagree for a few weeks or a couple of months longer. So let's see what happens. Uh, write down right now, as soon as we're finished, write down exactly what you think is going to happen to resolve the crisis, and then pay attention to see if see how right you are. Okay? See you next week. All right. Thank you so much.
Thanks so much for joining us for this episode of The Current Issues in the Constitution. If you'd like to join us live, visit our show page on ultimatehomeschoolradionetwork.com. And for more information about Professor Wilson's classes, visit AmericanHistoryKidsClass.com. See you next week.